Well, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and get them out and turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter 8. I came in this morning and the, the clock in the back was not changed. It still read an hour earlier and I got really excited because if nobody would have changed the clock, that meant I could have preached for an extra hour today. <laughs> and that was kind of an exciting prospect for me. But somebody changed the clock, and so it's, it's already 11.02. But if you have your core guide, um, get that out. There's some devotionals on the inside to carry you through the week that are uh, connected in some ways to the messages that we um, preach on Sunday mornings. Um, but on the front, there's a blank space for you to take notes, jot down questions, maybe thoughts that you would have that you want to discuss with your uh, core groups. Uh, but on this morning's core guide, there's a, there's a little picture. And this is the very closest you will ever get to me doing something that's fill in the blank. I'm not a fill-in-the-blank guy. If I sit through one of those, my eyes roll to the back of my head, and so it's really difficult for me to think in terms of fill-in-the-blank, but so this is the closest you're going to get. Um, and so I'll talk about that in, in just a minute. Um, we are beginning a new uh, mini-series today. We are going through the book of Acts uh, during this calendar year. We had a little mini-series to start off in our, in our winter quarter, and we launch into the second of the mini-series here. We're in, this is the first Sunday of the season in the church that we call Lent, and it's an intentional journey that took us from our service on Ash Wednesday, and it'll, it will conclude with a victory celebration, a celebration of life uh, on Easter Sunday. And so this season is typically set out as a, a time for some self-reflection, some contemplation, um, getting things right in your own life. It's a season of confession, of, of repentance, uh, and it, it is leading towards that celebration at the end. And uh, this, this particular Lent season, we're going to do uh, the second section of our series in the book of Acts, and this one is called um, True Church Going Viral. And I want to launch into that by reading the first eight verses of Acts, and I know you just kind of settled into your spot, but would you stand for this reading today? These are the words of Luke. Luke is the one who wrote the book of Acts. And chapter 8 marks a significant shift in the narrative of Acts. And it begins this way. And if you recall, last week we talked about um, a guy named Stephen, who was the very first Christian martyr that we know of. And so this is on the heels of um, Stephen being stoned to death for standing up for his faith. So on the day that Stephen was stoned, on that day a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in the city. So word of the Lord. Thanks be God. You can be seated. So you may um, 
recognize the, the term going viral. Is that familiar language to you these days? It's kind of internet terminology, going viral. Um, if you, in internet language, the definition of going viral means an image or a video um, has spread very quickly. And how it happens is you would post something and your friends would see what you posted and they would share what you posted out on their own page. And their friends would see what they posted that you posted and their friends would share it out on their page. Do I need to keep going? It gets shared out multiple times over and over and over again. There are things that go viral so quickly now, there are experts out there that actually quantify, they have math for this. I didn't bother to learn what all of that math was. Uh, if you want to look it up, just Google it. Um, but many of the experts who pay attention to these sorts of things say that your post hasn't gone viral until it's reached about five million people now. Because there's so many things that just scatter like wildfire very quickly. Uh, for something to truly go viral by internet definitions, it needs to reach about five million people um, in like a three to seven day kind of a period. So I was a little bit disappointed because my public reading of Leviticus has not gone viral yet. <laughs> I can't figure out why. Um, our text today tells us about the day the church went viral. Uh, the gospel had spread around in Jerusalem to this point. All of what we have read so far in Acts, has been talking about the way the message of Jesus had spread in and throughout Jerusalem. But on this day, something happens. The day that Stephen was killed, the message was sent out further. There was a guy named Saul that presided, if you will, over Stephen's murder. And he thought it was okay. We'll be introduced to Saul in the coming weeks. We know him as uh, the Apostle Paul. Before he was the Apostle Paul, he was uh, a Pharisee named Saul who persecuted the church. He wanted to shut the message down because it didn't jive with his Judaism. And so in verse 1, we read that a great persecution broke out against the church, and everyone, everyone was scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. And not only were they scattered, but those who went out, they preached the word. They preached the word wherever it was they went. Wherever it was they landed, they continued to share this new faith that they had. And so the result of this great wave of persecution wasn't what people intended it to be. The persecution happened to get rid of this new Jesus movement, to silence the message, but the great wave of persecution did not accomplish that. It, it didn't have that effect on people. In fact, the gospel message of Jesus exploded. It went viral throughout the land. It was shared again and again and again. So there's a couple things that I want us to focus on today. Um, one, and it seems a little bit like repetition, because we've, we've talked about this quite a bit. Uh, recently, but over these last years, this is something that keeps coming up because it's, a, it's, a, it's something that the Bible presents in front of us often. 
Luke is very clear in making the point that the first time the gospel left Jerusalem, it was carried by ordinary people. Did, did you notice that? All the Christians left except the apostles. Did, did you read that? I've read that before. It settled in maybe a little bit more upon me this week. The apostles were the ones who were deeply entrenched in Jerusalem, felt for whatever reason that they didn't need to scatter. Maybe they had a greater sense of safety. But it was the ordinary folk who scattered from Jerusalem, and as they went, they were the message bearers as they went along. The Holy Spirit empowered the people, not just the leaders of this movement. If, if you remember back earlier in Acts, the Holy Spirit wasn't poured out on just one or two select individuals who got to give marching orders to everybody else. God poured out His Spirit on all people, young, old, men, women, people from all different races and lands, everybody. The Holy Spirit's not reserved. God um, sends His Holy Spirit out broadly, generously, for all people. And so that means the Holy Spirit's poured out on you. If a great wave of persecution, whatever that would look like, broke out in our community, and somebody came in to try and silence the message of this church. And for whatever reason, if you felt like you needed to run or go somewhere to escape that, you would be the ones that wherever you were going would preach the message. You, ordinary folk, is what Luke says. The people of this newfound faith were the ones, the first ones, to carry the message outside Jerusalem. Not Peter, not John, not any of the other apostles, but the people. So I think about that, those sorts of things a lot. If we were to disperse, people chase us out, and we thought, yeah, when we went, and we had to explain to people why it was that we were moving, and we shared the gospel message then, I forced myself to ask the question, well, am I doing it now? Are we doing it now? Are you sharing the message wherever you go in the present? Luke points out that um, the church grows not by the preaching of a few, but when every believer is filled with the Spirit and takes the gospel to the streets and shares it with their friends and family and neighbors and co-workers, people you go to school with. Not only did they speak the message, but we get a, this picture of Philip. He went and he... Um, he, he, well, one, if you remember Philip, he was one of the guys who was elected to help start the first Meals on Wheels program, and, and so he was a servant within this early group of um, believers, and, and uh, he was selected because he cared for people, and as he went, he still continued to care for people, and, and we're told that when he went into Samaria that he was doing signs and wonders and and. He was getting the people's attention by the ways that he was living among them. So they, they could watch him. They could see what it looked like to be a Jesus follower. They could see that he cared for them. But then he also connected his deeds with the words, with the message. And so it, it's one thing to live a life of Christianity, to live a life uh, that looks like Jesus, it's, it's one thing to live that in front of other people, 
But that's only, that's only half the message. It's, it's deed and word. You have to be able to share the message. Connect the two together. Yes, it's great to live a Christian life of love and grace and mercy and forgiveness and righteousness in front of other people in such a way that it would cause them to wonder a little bit about you. But don't just leave them wondering. Put Jesus on the table. When you go back to work, I was in the work, secular work world long enough. Pretty much every Monday morning, somebody would ask the question, hey, what'd you do this weekend? Do you ever, do you ever include church in that conversation? Hey, I, I was part of this thing that's going on at my church. Um, maybe an event, maybe it's something that you write down on your core guide that just struck you, like, hey, I was at church this weekend, and it got me thinking about this. Put Jesus on the table, it's, it's okay. We'll, we'll keep coming back to this one. That's something that repeats over and over in, in Scripture. So that's the first thing. The second thing uh, that I really think we need to pay attention to and spend some time on is that God, God calls us out of our comfort zones. Uh, so far in Acts, we've gotten this pretty cozy picture of the church, this fellowship that came together around the message of Jesus. We called them the ecclesia, this assembly of people who gathered. They spent a lot of time together. Remember this? They, they would not only go to temple worship together, but but after that, and in addition to that, they would get together to study. Remember that? They would pray together. Remember that? They would fellowship with one another and, and eat meals together. And, and Luke describes this as being like a daily kind of a thing for them. This was important. They would care for each other's needs. I mean, this is a... Maybe we understand now why so far the church hasn't busted out from Jerusalem. Maybe Luke is painting this nice, comfortable, cozy picture of how all of these people came together and loved one another and cared for another so much that, hey, you know what? This feels pretty good. You know, there's people coming to faith in Jerusalem, the people that you know, we interact with on a regular basis. They see how we live, and we talk about it, and, but, hey, you know what? Life is, life is pretty good here. I don't, I don't know if we, you know, that whole Great Commission thing back in Acts 1-8, where Jesus said the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and give you the power to be witnesses in Jerusalem, right? That's how it started, and then Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, well, hey, this whole Jerusalem thing, it just seems to be going so well and it's so comfortable. I think maybe, maybe we're responsible for Jerusalem and Jesus will call other people to go to Samaria and Judea and the ends of the earth. You ever been there? See, I think we have a picture so far of a church that is planted. And being planted is, don't, don't hear that as a bad thing. Those are all wonderful things. A church that is rooted, a church that is planted is a good thing. Sometimes that bleeds over into our thoughts and our attitudes, and we get our feet stuck in concrete sometimes, and so we, have, we are planted and not growing. We are planted and not thriving. We're just stuck because we're comfortable. And the picture that Luke gives us here in chapter 8 is that something happened that scattered the church. Something happened so that the people would, in some ways, be uprooted, broken up from the concrete that maybe their feet were in, and they were forced out something that was uncomfortable for them. 
caused them to go out. This persecution is what drove the church outside the city of Jerusalem. Now, when we read in the Old Testament, when I was doing the reading through the book of Deuteronomy this week, there were several points in that reading where it was hard for me to continue focusing on the reading because another thought occurred to me. I, w I read something and it just sort of struck all sorts of things. One of them was uh, when I was reading through Deuteronomy 28. When you get towards the end of that chapter, you, r you really read how much of a curse it was in the Old Testament for the people to be scattered. That was a threat that God had used to the people. If you do not obey my covenant, my commands, other people are going to come in, uproot you, and scatter you, and it would have been, it was seen as a curse in the Old Testament. And yet, now, as the people were scattered, it's no longer a curse. It's a blessing. The message of Jesus was taken out of Jerusalem and went with them and carried literally to the ends of the earth. It spread like wildfire. The gospel went viral that day. What was meant for evil on the, on the, at the hands of Saul and, and his band of merry men who wanted to just uproot this Jesus movement and silence it and kill him, put him in prison, he meant that for evil, but it's something that God ended up using for great good. That's why we're here, folks, because the gospel left Jerusalem. There was a church father back in the second century named Tertullian, and he was known to have said that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And what I think he meant was that the messengers of the gospel may be persecuted, they may be killed, but their blood does not dry up and it does not disappear. It becomes fuel that empowers and, and sets other witnesses loose in the world. See, the devil can't stop the gospel by killing its preachers any more than you can stop mathematics by breaking a calculator. It just won't work. When the devil goes after us, after believers, and tries to silence the message, the gospel can't be contained. It can't. It will not be withheld. It will not be silenced. And when the devil comes after us, that empowers us all the more to go out and share the message. See, the paradox of, of persecution really is that when Christians are forced to leave their homes and to go to other places, leaving everything behind, it doesn't result in anger or bitterness or resentment or depression, but it ends in joy is what Luke says. These believers weren't silenced by the threats. They went out and they were boldly proclaiming Jesus. I remember... I had been called into the ministry when I was in my teens, and along my journey, many of you have heard some of this story, um, God didn't really connect all of the dots as to what that would look like for me. And so when I got out of high school, I, I was already in um, a business career of sorts, managing roller skating rinks and family fun centers. and. That was good times. Uh, I pursued my education in business management and owned a company for quite a few years. And through a whole set of circumstances, which I don't need to share all of those details with you today, it's a longer story, but uh, through our life experiences, God had blessed me with specific opportunities to learn some skills to be in some situations that he was preparing me for, for things later in my career, my, my career at, in ministry. And I had no idea along the way. 
So at the time when I really felt like God was saying, hey, um, that whole business that you own, that's, that's all well and good, but I need you to do something else now. But it feels so good, Lord, I, it, I'm comfortable, it's, I'm established. He said, I don't need you to be established anymore. Okay. So making the phone call to the, I had, I had a company that had a contract with Xerox Corporation, and we were part of their marketing arm that they kind of outsourced. We took care of a territory. So while I owned the company, I, I did have somebody within Xerox Corporation that paid attention to our territory and, and what we were doing. And so when I ca called this guy to tell him that uh, I was going to be selling out uh, my shares and, and leaving, he didn't, know, he, he didn't know how to respond. Imagine these people who were uprooted from Jerusalem and they were scattered to all the parts of the country, to Judea and to Samaria. That's what we're told at this point. Imagine when they moved into a new neighborhood. Hey, why did, why did you move here? Well, we were in Jerusalem, but you see, there's this great wave of persecution that broke out, and they were going after people who believed in this person named Jesus. Oh, were, was, did you know Stephen? The guy that was, we heard some rumor that there was a, a guy who was stoned because he believed in Jesus. Yeah, he was our friend. Well, you must really believe this message then. Yeah, I really do. Can I share it with you? See, when you put Jesus on the table, it's going to confuse some people. Like some of those people, I imagine, well, why didn't you just say you didn't believe it so you could stay in your home? Well, that's not the kind of faith that we practice. See, when I, when I made this phone call and said, I, I need to back out of all of this because I'm going to pursue being a pastor in a church, that was a, what? Are you, you got to be crazy. There's no money in that. That was what he said. And I said, well, I don't think it's about that. I think it's about being faithful to the God who I believe in. I think it's about taking steps of obedience, even when I don't know how they all line up. It, it was a circuit breaker for him. In some ways, it was a circuit breaker for me, but I knew intuitively that that's what needed to be done. Well, let's see. What do we want to talk about? Because this really gets to the core of, of our faith. And this story, well, Philip is a prime example of what um, Luke is talking about here. He holds Philip up for us, and he gives us two little episodes. The first starts in the passage that we read, and it, it finishes up in the tail end of chapter 8, and we'll look at that briefly here in a few minutes. Um, Philip is our example, and Luke says that he went to Samaria. Okay, so now we see that the gospel is going where Jesus said it was going to go, to start it in Jerusalem, go to Judea, to Samaria, to the ends of the earth. But, but for the gospel to go, for people to go from Jerusalem to Samaria, that's really a big, that's a big, huge statement right there. Because the Jews and the Samaritans, well, they just didn't get along at all. Um, Jews would go out of their way to walk around Samaria, even though the shortest route from the north to the south in Israel was to go through Samaria. The, the interstate went through Samaria, and Jews would rather go all the way around, adding a full day's walk to their journey so that they could avoid going into Samaria because the Samaritans were unclean. They were impure. We don't want to associate with them. Now, to their credit, Samaritans weren't the nicest people back in return. 
I mean, they were a little bit antagonistic. If there were any Samaritans in the neighborhood, they would be one that would be flaunting the bacon on their hamburgers at the, you know, the block picnic. I'm teasing. Um, but they would just poke at the Jews. They built their own temple, and they, would, they put it out there that this is the right and holy temple, and, and yours is not. They claimed theirs was the real one, and there's some history here. So if you go back in the Old Testament to... Israel's greatest king, King David. You may have heard that name before. After his reign, uh, there was a... When he left, the kingdom was united. It was, it was one. Over time, after the end of David's rule, the, the kingdom split into two. There was the, the northern kingdom that took on the name Israel, and there was the southern kingdom that took on the name Judea. And the northern kingdom was totally conquered, decimated, wiped out in 722 B.C. by the Assyrians. Now, when the Assyrians came in and conquered this northern kingdom, it was, Samaria was also part of, of what they conquered. Uh, the Assyrian practice was they, they uprooted people, they scattered them. So this is the Old Testament curse language that we talked about. The people from the northern kingdom and Samaria were uprooted and carted off mostly the upper-class elites. And in return, the Assyrians moved in some of their people into this land. And so this northern kingdom, with the people who were remaining, the Jews who were remaining uh, in Samaria there, uh, started to intermarry with the people from the foreign land. So now we have a mixed race in Samaria. We have a... Uh, not only was it uh, mixed in terms of, um, you know, race, but also they mixed their cultural practices, their religious practices. So let's keep a little bit of Judaism, but oh, those gods from here, that's kind of interesting. So why don't we figure out a way to mesh those together? So you have people who were half Jew, half Arab. They practiced a mixed religion. These were like, for you Harry Potter fans, these were the muggles of the world, okay? They're, they're just mixed, and the, the purebred Jews wanted nothing to do with them at all. And Philip goes there anyway. He goes to this place where there are some racial tensions. He goes to the place where there's social differences, to the place where there's different religious practices. He goes to the place that's unclean, people who were excluded from Judaism, and he begins preaching the gospel. And the people received it with great joy. People had, they had never heard this message of Jesus. I remember um, I was on a missions trip and we were in, uh, in Europe. I don't remember exactly which city it was. I think it was Paris. And I met a Hindu man and he spoke fairly good English, so we were able to communicate fairly well. And we were just out and about, and we had this, um, we had a team of people, and, and so we did some music, and we had some drama, and um, you know, just different ways of um, attracting a crowd, and so he had, had stopped and was kind of paying attention, and it, he just had an inquisitive look on his face, and so I, after we were finished with our program, I'd, I just went up to him and asked him, hey, do you have any questions? Do you understand what we were doing? And he's like, well, I've never heard of this Jesus person before. And so I had the opportunity to, to share the message of Jesus with him, and he had never heard anything like it in his whole life. And his countenance just changed that this Jesus person did all of these things for me, and I can participate in that? See, people who have never heard the message of Jesus often receive 
the good news about Jesus with a great amount of joy because they never have considered that somebody would have gone to that great length on their behalf. See, on that day when Philip left and he began preaching, the gospel went to Samaria, and the gospel created a unity that, had, that overcame years and years of hurt and mistrust. So there's a little picture on the front of your core guide that I told you about. Circle, the line in the middle, some, an arrow, and some lines on the outside. Take that out and be ready to write something down on it. Philip's story picks up again in verse 26, like I said. Um, but I want you to consider that God's kingdom explodes when we are scattered across lines. And we're a people who are really good at drawing lines. Uh, we draw all sorts of lines. We draw our lines around our lives, places that we won't cross, places we won't go, people we won't talk to, uh, social issues we don't want to deal with, uh, all sorts of lines that, that we draw. That's just the nature of being human. The, the circle on the page represents the lines of comfort that we tend to draw around our little bubble. Comfort, safety, that circle represents what you might call as the known. It might not be the best life, but I know this one. I might have struggles, I might have pain, there might be some heartache and some financial, financial issues and relational stuff, but I know this life and I feel good right in the middle of it because it doesn't require too much thought anymore. It might be a great life. Income might be good. You have kids and grandkids and all sorts of things, and, and life might just be awesome, and that's also comfortable. Sometimes we don't want to shake that bubble because life is going so well that man, this just feels so good right where I'm at. I don't, I don't want to cross that line. So on that line in the middle, whatever word you want to choose, comfort, safety, the known, put that in the middle of the circle. See, because God is calling us out beyond the line of our bubble. God is scattering us beyond what we think, beyond the places where we think we might want to stay. So on that line, comfort, safety, the known, whatever word you choose, understand that that bubble is the places where maybe you are planted. Maybe it's the place where your feet have maybe grown into some concrete because you know this life. It's homogenous. It's working out, for better or worse. It doesn't require too much of us anymore because we know it. Churches can fall into this category too. I read a story about a, a church you had Oh, the church was 100 years old or so, and the neighborhood had changed all around it. People were, most of the people who attended the church didn't live in the community any longer. They had moved out to the suburbs long ago, and the demographics all around the church building changed. What was once a, a white kind of a neighborhood now was was a mixed-race neighborhood with multiple languages in it. Um, and the people would come in, and they were wondering why their church just kept dwindling and dwindling. And it was down to just a, a core group of some people that were left. And they would pray all the time, Lord, send us people. 
but they never took the time to engage with the people that God brought into their community right around him. And there was a, an older lady in the congregation that she, would, she was at the church doing, I don't know, miscellaneous kind of work, and she was just struck by the number of kids that, that walked past the church building after school every day. She noticed that one day she came back the next day and she started counting the number of kids who walked by. It was astounding. And she's like, how do we, how would we reach those kids? How could we share the message that we have with all of these kids who walk by? They don't look like me. I don't, I'm a little bit nervous about it. How? So she and a friend, they just started making peanut butter sandwiches. And they put a sign up outside that said, free peanut butter sandwiches. And they unlocked the door. And kids started to come in. And at first, it was just to get a peanut butter sandwich, and they'd grab that, and they would go. But what these ladies learned when talking to these kids is mom and dad were so busy trying to work to make a living that when they got home, they didn't have any food. Till later in the evening when, when parents got home, some of these kids didn't even get lunch at school. So they figured out that this is kind of meeting a hunger need in these kids. And before you know it, making peanut butter sandwiches turned into an entire after-school program that the church was able to offer. And once the kids started coming, the parents were curious about what was going on in the church. Why would, you, why would you do this for our kids? And before you know it, the pews on Sunday morning started to be populated with some of these families. It was the ordinary people of the church who were willing to be scattered. They were willing to step across a line. They were willing to step outside that circle of comfort and engage with the people around them for the sake of the gospel. It wasn't organized by the church. There wasn't really any kind of hierarchical structure. It was just people who wanted to reach people. See, you're authorized to do the same sorts of things. Now, don't 17 of you show up to make peanut butter sandwiches tomorrow. But you know what I'm saying is that use the creativity that God has given you. Take the charge of God that he wants us to be scattered so his message can go out and see where it takes you. Don't feel like to share the gospel or, or to participate in a ministry, something like that, you have to wait for the church to organize it for you. The best things the church ever does start out here and bubble up. I'm convinced that God wants us, he's calling all of us to step across these lines. And the first one is the comfort zone line, the safety bubble place where we can predict what life is like. I know it can be unsettling, it's challenging, it's even a little bit scary. But I think God has something for all of that. It's called the Holy Spirit to encourage, to empower, to send us out. Some of you are just really good at this already. So take this as motivation and encouragement to keep on keeping on. Some of us maybe have forgotten what that is or maybe have grown a little too comfortable where we are and we need the, we need, <laughs> we need the sharp stick of the Holy Spirit to get us up out of our zone. 
All of these are opportunities when we cross lines to share the message of Jesus wherever it is that he scatters us. You might feel, even inside your bubble, you might feel a little restless or or bored or maybe unfulfilled. And I think those feelings are God's way of of getting to us. Like, hey, you're going to be a little unsettled right here until you start crossing some lines and start engaging and doing the gospel that you claim to believe. And our natural instinct is to resist these nudgings as we're, we're, let's face it, we're good at rationalizing, aren't we? We are good at um, making excuses to take our fears away. We quickly convince ourselves that staying put is the best option. Stay in our, our routine because, well, that's what my family knows, that's what our kids know, and, and I just think it's, that's just the best thing for, for us right now. So, you know, maybe we'll, we'll get around to that. Maybe it's, you know, in your work life, eh, I don't, I'm sort of new on the job. I don't really want to make waves where I am. And so God might have scattered me to this place to share the message, but I don't think the timing is right because I just can't jeopardize my job in that sort of way. You don't have to be an obnoxious Christian, folks. You can put Jesus on the table. Remember the whole live Jesus in front of other people and then start to bring him into conversations? You can do it graciously and in a way that's... The gospel of Jesus is going to offend somebody everywhere. But you don't have to be a jerk about it. And you don't have to put your career in jeopardy by simply injecting Jesus into your conversations. Folks, this is my, this is my story I was comfortable where I was. And God poked me with a stick. And I sold my company to enter the ministry. This isn't the first church that I've been at. Every once in a while, God gets out his sharp stick and says, hey, it's, you seem to be a little bit comfortable. All in good ways, not in bad ways, but maybe your feet are stuck. That, how do you think I ended up here? God got out the sharp stick and said, hey, I need to scatter you so that my word can go out. On the outside of the circle, there's a series of lines. At the very top line, I want you to write God's will on it. I've, I'm convinced God's will is that we be a scattered people. Some of us, he's going to scatter geographically. He's going to uproot and send us out. Maybe our career changes and he takes us somewhere. And look, wherever it is that God sends you, scatters you, look at it as an opportunity to be able to take the message to people you haven't met before. Some of you, he's going to scatter in your relationships. Some of you, he's going to scatter in uh, your vocation. So, you know, maybe your job changes, or maybe you get a promotion, or maybe you get put in a different department. You know, you can be all sorts of negative about those, those kinds of things, but you can also look at it as, hey, Maybe this is the scattering work of the Holy Spirit so God's word can go out through me. Wherever I go, I am to be the light. I am to be one who is planting the seeds of the gospel. You see, we're talking about the first day that the church went viral. And I'm really glad that the gospel wasn't one generation deep. And the gospel must go out through us. 
to keep going. The gospel can't be one generation deep with us. We're the ones that God puts the task of making the gospel go viral, to continue it, to share and share and share. He calls us out of our comfortable places and he, he provokes us to go and he inspires us to scatter the seed of his word everywhere it is that we go. The gospel can't be contained. The kingdom of God is exploding all over the place. God is out there ahead of us preparing the hearts of, and minds of people to receive the gospel message. And he sends you and I to, to go connect all those dots. To plant seeds. To water the plants. To nurture. I think there's going to be a part two. Because there's still part of this chapter that I want to talk about. There's this character that we meet in the middle named Simon the Sorcerer. He was a Samaritan. He was in, in Samaria. And then, and then we have this interaction at the end with verse 26, and Philip is interacting with a guy from Ethiopia. And so I think next week we'll conclude talking about the ministry of Philip. Um, but I want you to ask yourself this week, Am I playing it safe right now? See, the rest of the lines on the front of your core guide, I want you to pray about. I put multiple lines on there. It may just be one more line that you fill in because it may be just a powerful feeling that you get from God about a place that he is trying to scatter you to, a line that he's asking you to cross. It may be to... Uh, people in this community that you would never have considered interacting with before. It may be a mission of some sort. It may be a peanut butter sandwich kind of ministry. It might be considering following the call of God in your life to enter into the vocational ministry. God calls people out of the pews all of the time to be pastors and teachers and missionaries. Don't think don't think that he would pass you by. And if you ever sense that God is calling you to be a pastor of some sort or in ministry of some kind, I'd be honored to walk with you through that journey and to talk with you about what that looks like. But ask yourself, are, are you playing it safe right now? I know we have the longing to be planted in our places, but God's idea is that we are to be scattered. He wants us to be, he wants us to be deeply rooted in Him. And God's on the move, folks. If we're deeply rooted in Him and we're paying attention to the Holy Spirit, my prayer is that we would all get caught up in the activity of the Holy Spirit and be willing to go and move with God wherever it is that He would go. Can you do that? Would you at least pray about it? People of God said, Amen.